0: That's what
1: I was going to say. I wonder how many podcasts have the same music because it's the... the
0: I don't know. Hey, but it's our podcast. Welcome to Vet Club. This is going to be another edition of Vet Books. We've hit a milestone. We are moving on to part two.
1: How many parts are there? Five?
0: 33. Oh. Uh, Actually... (laughs) Hang on, I will tell you. Oh, um, that was,
1: you just made that up.
0: I just made that up. It, it might not be that far off. It's in Roman numerals. Uh, so it's 23. I actually wasn't that far off. There are 23 parts. And we are moving on to part two, um, chapter 14, part two of Small Animal Critical Care Medicine, second edition, um, edited by Silverstein and Hopper.
1: Residents in 30, or 2030. Yeah,
0: 2030. that's so far in the future. (laughs) 2030
1: are going to get such a kick out of this series.
0: Yeah, maybe when we finally finish the book. Yeah. I mean, you know, you don't have to go at our pace, but if going back and reviewing some of these chapters is helpful for you, uh, you know, you should start. Let's see. uh, If we did, how many many actual chapters? If we did one chapter a week, there's 211 chapters. Just
1: like four years.
0: (laughs) so that's, we should speed up. <laughs> um, but I mean, if you are doing your residency and you do one chapter a week, um, you should start during your internship, <laughs> but one chapter a week is very reasonable. They're very short. Chapters. Yeah. They're short chapters. Um, so, um, but I do now I feel the pressure. We have to do more. We'll and do another just one. Right one of this.
1: like five books and 400 journalists. Do you want to do two
0: chapters in one podcast? We'll do 14 and 15 today? No. Okay. No, I think we should stick with one. Okay, podcast. so this is vet books number 15, <laughs> which is chapter 14. I don't know why we numbered them this way. We really should just go back and renumber them. Uh, chapter 14, which is uh, the first chapter in part two, which is respiratory disorders, but this chapter is oxygen therapy. Um, and uh, Dr. Mazafaro is the author of this chapter, and yeah, so really talking about more than just oxygen therapy, um, but a little bit about, you know, how to administer supplemental oxygen, a little bit on indications, like when do you need to supplement oxygen? I like to, to remind the students that what you, you already know what I'm going to say.
1: Maybe I know um, what you say a lot.
0: Yeah, the, the short term. So I'm not a fan of the phrase. It can't hurt. Like I'm not a fan of that phrase. But short-term administration of moderate to, you know, like limited rates of supplemental oxygen are unlikely to cause harm. Unless. Unless. Do you know what the unless is?
1: Unless the patient is on fire.
0: Unless the patient is on fire. In which case you should put out the fire and then probably provide them with some supplemental oxygen because they may have some smoke inhalation. Uh, the point is that. So like um, in the short oxygen term, is your okay. antibiotic? Yeah. No, it's not. It's, it's everybody's. Like, oxygen is your oxygen. <laughs> like, you have to have it. But oh, this is
1: funny. We were at the about... CrossFit the other day and we had like a, oh, yeah. we had to do a long row. 5K row. 5K row. And then um, there was a thing on the board. It's like you get a free O2 when you're done.
0: But it was free O2 something or other. It was like, yeah, free O2 offer.
1: Yeah, free O2 offer. And it's I was like, like mm, after we do this hard workout, we're going to get some oxygen. Get, I was
0: like, I'm kind of stealing some right now, I think. <laughs> um, but apparently that's some It was like a drink, energy drink or, or recovery drink or something. We didn't try it. We did not take them up on the free oxygen offer. We just gulped down our own oxygen.
1: Yeah. And you went and got McDonald's.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Health nuts us. That's, that's us. Okay. So anyhow, oxygen, but we are going to talk about like too much oxygen is not good either. Um, But definitely not enough is not good. So you you need to have the Goldilocks amount of oxygen, which is enough, but not too much. So if you don't have enough, it's a problem. Um, And in the short term, generally a bigger problem than if you have too much, usually, so you have a little more leeway, I would say, with the too much. Um, you have a little bit of time before it becomes a big problem. But the question is, like, how do you know when you don't have enough and you need to supplement for your patients? So, what do you think? So for, how could we measure oxygen?
1: How are you going to measure it, or yeah. how do you tell if they don't or have enough? yeah,
0: however, yeah, I how guess if they're
1: like. Gasping,
0: Yeah. Which is generally a good indication. Like if they're having trouble breathing, yeah. the if problem with that, that is
1: seen in every space movie where they're like, <sighs> I <can't breathe."> yeah.
0: <laughs> that, that was it. That was my scene from the space movie. If you could see my face, you would have applauded. I'm pretty sure. So, um, yeah. So you can just look at the, the patient and how they're doing. And the problem is that oxygen isn't always going to solve the issue. Because there are some problems, there are some reasons that would lead a patient to like be struggling to breathe that aren't necessarily an oxygen problem or they might be, but they won't be solved by increasing the amount of oxygen that they are able to breathe in. Um, But most of the time it can help. And and again, even when it can't help, it's probably unlikely to cause harm in the short term um, unless they're on fire. So... But sometimes it's hard to know, like, you know, how, how bad are we doing? And we want to have some, some ways to measure. So do you know how we measure oxygen?
1: Probably like what they breathe out.
0: That is usually what we're going to, um, assess carbon dioxide. We're going to see how they're ventilating. How much are they breathing out? Because they shouldn't be breathing in very much, um, Because, you know, trees. And then, um, so on the out, we actually don't really care how much oxygen they're breathing out. We care a lot more um, how much CO2, carbon dioxide they're breathing out. Um,
1: I guess there's like, aren't there oxygen levels in the blood?
0: Yeah, yeah. So we want to know how much is in the blood. And the blood is divided into two broad categories, the arteries and the veins. And the arteries typically, with the exception of what's happening in the lungs themselves. But the arteries, meaning they're leaving the heart after picking up oxygen from the lungs, should be fairly oxygen-rich. And then the the blood passes down into the capillaries, passes through the tissues, and the tissues will take up that oxygen and drop off their CO2 waste. And so... Oh, did the stink bug disappear?
1: Yeah, they just Topher, do that.
0: Okay, so before we started... Um, Topher gave me a box with some new headphones cause my other headphones were being kind of like weird and I was getting some staticky noises, but he sabotaged it with a stink bug on the I didn't box. Know there was a stink bug sure, on. that's what he says now. And so then he was joking that there would be one crawling around in my ear because he was super. It was that. super accidental, and um, and so but I flung it onto the ground, and now he's saying it's yeah. And but I was
1: like, "What do stink bugs do?" And I was like, Are "They just stand there."
0: Yeah, they don't do anything. But apparently, this one is yeah. out for some revenge. <laughs> and, um, it, it's it, it, oh, I see it. It's in your hair.
1: No, it's not. No, it's not. But they don't move at all unless you're not looking. And then they've gone like three miles.
0: Yeah, they are pretty sneaky. Anyhow. um, Sorry.
1: I just had to point out that the stink bug was no longer there.
0: Yeah. They're weird. They don't bite, though. Or do they? Well, they probably bite something. I don't think they bite me. Okay. So we're talking about oxygenation in the blood. And um, there's two different ways that we can find oxygen in the blood. And there's that, which just dissolved in oxygen. So oxygen can just be dissolved in like the plasma. And and then there's also, um, it's bound to hemoglobin. And the vast majority of, of oxygen in your blood is bound to hemoglobin. This is a really important point because um, when we measure, um, we have again two ways that we can measure oxygen in the blood. And one is just, the partial pressure of the dissolved oxygen in blood. And that's really useful. It's a good, useful amount. However, that represents a small fraction of the oxygen in your blood. It is, however, very strongly correlated to the amount of oxygen that is bound to hemoglobin um, because uh, we have what's called the oxygen hemoglobin dissociation curve. And that is measured as a percentage so we measure the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve based on a percentage of the binding sites on a hemoglobin molecule that are saturated that are bound with oxygen and we have pretty consistent correlation between the amount of dissolved oxygen in the blood and what would be bound to normal hemoglobin yeah, um it's just chemistry yeah exactly and although there are some some things that will change that some chemistry things that will change that Mm -hmm. um the ph of your blood being one of those um but usually they don't change it dramatically like that that curve is pretty similar it will have a slightly you know uh yeah because your
1: ph changes too much you die you
0: die yeah exactly Uh, a few other things that can adjust that um but uh, but generally speaking it's going to look the shape is going to be very very similar And, um, so what we use a lot of the times is, um, you know, both of these measures are, are useful in their own right. However, it's important to know that, um, small, very small changes in the SpO2 or the percentage of, um, what percentage of hemoglobin is bound by oxygen or the pulse oximetry is what we will often call that is. that's the
1: thing they stick on your finger.
0: Yeah, that's the finger thing. Um, Where do you
1: stick it on animals?
0: Their fingers. No, um, you have to put it on a something that doesn't have a lot of fur and something that ideally doesn't have a lot of pigment. So oftentimes, their tongues. Like we use it a lot when they're under anesthesia, and it works really nicely when the animal's under anesthesia because they don't try to chew it out. <laughs> but awake animals, <laughs> awake animals don't love it. Um, so you can kind of put it on their lip, but they don't love that either. Um, so it that and. As a diagnostic tool, it doesn't work as well in awake animals for all of the reasons you are giggling about right now. You're imagining that they're not going to talk. I was
1: imagining when you're a doctor and they like, all right, instead of put this thing on your fingers, like, all right, stick this thing on your tongue. Yeah. Everybody would, would be like the dentist. So was
0: your little, Yep, like that. So, but that thing that gives you the percentage of hemoglobin molecules that are saturated with oxygen, which is cool, um, but it can change almost not at all, and the dissolved oxygen will change dramatically. So, I think they have that in this chapter. Maybe it's not in this chapter. Maybe I lied. Um, Maybe in a subsequent chapter, we'll talk about that. But that small changes in the pulse oximetry reading can correlate to big changes in the percent or the uh, um, amount of dissolved oxygen in blood. Um, particularly on the too much oxygen side. So um, when we talk about hyperoxia, meaning too much oxygen, which sounds like a great thing, but actually is not, um, you can't, you will never have more than 100%. (laughs) um, of your hemoglobin molecules fully saturated with oxygen. And so everything else is just the dissolved oxygen and that can still lead to issues. Um, but, um, so this chapter is going to focus a little bit more, a little bit on how you measure it, a little bit on when do you need oxygen therapy? You know, when their oxygen is low, is it, is it good? Yeah. This is that thing that
1: Lance Armstrong was doing, right? With his blood doping.
0: Uh, I think blood doping is usually when they, um, they donate or they like, extract blood they donate like a unit of blood store it for a while and then give that back to themselves yeah so um but that's just because you now have more oxygen carrying capacity yeah um so yes uh, there there's a limit to how good that will be because it also changes the viscosity and the rheology of your blood um, so there are problems with that. Don't recommend it. But if it, it will increase the oxygen carrying capacity. And so if you have more hemoglobin, that's a much more effective way to carry oxygen in your blood. So on in a, in a normal patient, 97% of the oxygen in your blood is carried by hemoglobin is bound by hemoglobin. And so if you're anemic, if you have, if you lose a lot of hemoglobin, that number goes down, but only a little bit, like even in very, very anemic patients, it's still like, you have almost no red blood cells in your blood still like 95 or 90 to 95% of the oxygen in your blood is still bound to, is still carried by hemoglobin. So when you're anemic, your tissues are not getting enough oxygen, but giving that patient oxygen isn't going to help. They just need oxygen carrying capacity. Like we're not really set up to effectively and efficiently extract free or just des- like dissolved oxygen from the blood. We really need to have it bound to hemoglobin. Um, and same thing for the carbon dioxide. So um, yeah, that's probably something we'll talk about in a different chapter. This chapter focuses on just the delivery part of it and all the different ways that you can deliver supplemental oxygen. Um, they do talk about, importantly, um, humidification through a lot of these methods. So if you are bypassing the body's natural humidification system, which is, what's your body's natural humidification system? Spit. <laughs> Not exactly. Um, it's your nose. Yeah. Yeah. That's Mucus and said. stuff. Sure. Well, it's not so much mucus. Um, yeah, so it is. when you breathe through your nose, you have, um, you know how it's really easy to get a bloody nose because for you have you. a ton. Yeah. For me, especially, but you have a ton of blood vessels, um, in your nose and, um, and dogs and cats have, uh, I probably, we do too, I guess i <laughs> really, um, intricate, system of kind of curly cues of bones and things like that for all the air to pass through to increase the surface area that your air passes through to warm it and humidify it so that um, you're not um, breathing in like dry, cold air, which would be not as good for your airways and your lungs. So we humidify the air through our noses, which is why like if you're breathing through your mouth a lot, like you'll feel like your throat gets really dry and things like, cause you're not humidifying it very effectively.
1: Mm-hmm. I've always wondered. They always talk about that in athletics, that it's more important to breathe through your nose. i never, that's probably really part of why. it.
0: That's probably part of it. I don't know if it's all of it, but it's, it's, I imagine yeah, that's that at least sense. part of it. Um, But so with some of these methods, if you bypass the body's natural humidification system, so for example, like if you're going to put a nasal oxygen cannula in a patient, which is a common method of um, supplying supplemental oxygen, you have to humidify that air for them because otherwise they're going to be breathing dry and cold air and you're going to dry out the rest of their airways. So humidification can be really important. Um, Let's see, what else? Do they say anything else about that? Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're in an oxygen cage, you know, usually not you, if you put the patient in one, usually you have a ways to um, humidify that if you need to, but if the patient's breathing through their nose, it's not a big deal. Now, if they're opening their mouth, you might want to increase the humidity in the oxygen cage for something like that. Um, So if the patient is still able to breathe, through their nose, you may not have to worry as much about humidification, um, but if you're bypassing the nose, that becomes really, really important. Um, so yeah, that's probably so. The things they mention uh, for oxygen supplementation would be like flow by, just blowing extra oxygen near the nose and mouth of the patient while they're breathing. That's going to provide. Typically, the least amount of extra oxygen of any of the methods.
1: So, when you deliver oxygen. Are you delivering pure oxygen or like some good sort question? Of mix?
0: Most of the time, most of the time, we're talking about 100% oxygen um, being supplemented. So, like if you're obviously, if I if I you know blow a tube or you know put a tube of 100 percent oxygen towards your nose it's mixing with the, the air around you mm-hmm. so you're not breathing 100 percent oxygen you're just breathing extra because i'm putting it like really close to your nose same thing as if i put nasal o- a nasal oxygen cannula or like people that have oxygen um supplementation yeah. they have the little nasal prongs same kind of thing um so they're not breathing a hunt that what's coming out of that tank is 100 percent oxygen but it's mixing with the air around you so it's supplemental oxygen
1: yeah and it's going at probably like a low rate
0: yeah um so and it depends you, you increase the flow rate it's going to in theory increase the fraction of inspired oxygen that you're getting um, the percentage and then um, but it it, it varies um, and it's hard to measure it's one of the things that's really hard to know like how how much oxygen are you actually breathing in um, so there's different ways to do that but they have face masks so um, that will use, For like just pre-oxygenating patients for anesthesia, and they have tight and loose-fitting face masks. So you put like a little cone over their nose to increase the amount of oxygen that they're breathing. They have oxygen hoods. There are things that you can like make. You can take like a one of those Elizabethan those um, e-collars and put that around an animal and cover with like Saran wrap. Not Mm -hmm. a method I'm a fan of. But there's now like commercially available hoods and little like astronaut helmet dome things that you can put over patients. So there's different ways to provide additional oxygen um, to the patients. And then again, the more invasive, or I mentioned oxygen cages. So um, there are commercially manufactured cages. So like a, you know, a cage you'd put a dog or a cat in, but it's um, sealed with like plexiglass and you can infuse higher rates of um, inspired oxygen into those cages. But those are a little more complicated because you also have to make sure that the carbon dioxide that the patient is exhaling is also being handled um, because now they're in like a box. And so you need to make sure that that's being accounted for. And then the more invasive forms, which again, we've already mentioned nasal oxygen. So putting a small tube in the nose of a patient and delivering oxygen that way. um, There's some pros and cons of all of these. Um, Not everybody likes having prongs in their nose, surprisingly. Um, But you you can do that and it works pretty darn well. Um, you can put it directly like through the neck into the trachea. Um, not a common one that we will do, but something you can do. Um, they talk a little bit about hyperbaric oxygen. I'm not really going to talk much about it because not a huge, there's very few indications for using hyperbaric, like high pressure oxygen for yeah, was a, a patient
1: thing in the, the early two thousands for athletes.
0: Oh, that seems silly. They would sleep it's in like great a hyperbaric chamber. If, yeah, that seems dangerous. Um, if you have the bends from, you know, scuba diving and you, uh, get nitrogen toxicity, then yeah, that's probably a good indication for it. That's probably what it was developed for. Um, but yeah, so, but the other thing that they mentioned very briefly in this chapter is that like oxygen isn't completely benign. Um, oxygen toxicity is a real thing and it's, a greater risk in patients that have higher rates of oxygen for longer periods of time. So low rates of supplemental oxygen for a long period of time is not is not super bad. High rates of oxygen are, you know, for even short periods of time or like 100% oxygen is if it's bad sooner. Um, and so like, you know, this, it's a spectrum. You can't say like after six hours of this percentage, like every patient is a little bit different. They're probably going to have different risk factors. Um, but we do have to be careful. Um, and
1: so what happens if you get too much oxygen?
0: So there's a number of things that can happen. Um, the main things that, um, I think about are one, um, you can get nitrogen washout. So, um, your alveoli, which are the little sacs that um, make up your lung units, they're little like little balloons. And nitrogen forms what people refer to as like a nitrogen skeleton. So it kind of like they push away from each other and they yeah, kind of help.
1: That's most of the air is, right? Yeah,
0: most of your air. Like, yeah, almost 80% of the air we breathe. It's a 79 whatever percent of the air we breathe or 78 point something or other is nitrogen. And that nitrogen forms a little nitrogen skeleton, which helps keep your alveoli from collapsing on themselves. And if you breathe 100% oxygen for a long time or very high rates of oxygen for a long time, you will wash out all that nitrogen and then your alveoli will want to collapse on themselves. And when they collapse on themselves, it's harder to open them back up. Kind of like when you have a balloon that you're trying to inflate, the hardest part is getting it started. Once it's open, keeping it making it a little bit bigger, a little bit smaller, a little bit bigger, a little bit smaller is way easier than letting that balloon co- completely collapse down. And then you have to kind of like force it open again. Your alveoli, it's the same. And so we don't want the alveoli to collapse. And so washing out all that nitrogen can lead to alveolar collapse. So that's not good for your lungs. And so we want to avoid that. And then just having too much oxygen dissolved in your blood can increase the risk of developing oxygen-free radicals, which we always have a little bit of those in our body. Like free radicals are forming and we have mechanisms to clean those up and clear those out, And um, but our systems to... Um, correct those free radicals can become overwhelmed and then that can start to lead to um, lipid peroxidation which lipids are the walls of our cells are made up of lipids it's a lipid bilayer
1: peroxidation
0: peroxidation is basically like you know how hydrogen peroxide will damage like dish tissues, you can use it to like disinfect things and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, that's what will happen to your cells on the inside. So that um, hydrogen peroxide can form into that OH with a little radical, mm-hmm. um, which is going to damage your cells. So you get oxygen radicals forming and it damages your tissues is the short version. That's Those are like the two main, I mean, there's probably more things. Those are the main things I think about.
1: How do you know when you're starting to give too much oxygen?
0: that is the hard part. Um, and I don't think we have historically done a very good job of one thinking about it and like trying to avoid it. Like people are just like, it's oxygen, it can't hurt. And you know, I even joke about it. If they're not on fire, it's fine. It's like, well, no, a little bit for a little while is probably fine, but a long time or large amounts and certainly large amounts for a long time is definitely not fine. And again, the higher the, the, the fraction of inspired oxygen you are, you're giving the less time it will take before it's problematic, but knowing, no, like I, you're not really going to know. You're not gonna be able to measure easily. How much of that nitrogen have you washed out of that patient's lungs? Like I don't have a way of measuring that, but if again, there are studies that will say, yes, this happens. And so if they're, Eight or whatever hours of of you know um, supporting this patient, they were improving, and now they're getting worse. Maybe part of that is from oxygen toxicity. Um, if you're starting to get organ damage and organ failure, we've talked about multiple organ dysfunction syndrome, things like that. Oxygen toxicity Mugs. could be contrib- Yeah, good job. Could be contributing to some of that, but we don't have good ways of quantifying that, and that's part of the problem. So we have to just be aware of it and try to avoid it by saying, "Hey, let's." provide the minimal amount of supplementation that we think we can get away with to stabilize our patient. So if our patient can get better with a little bit of oxygen, then we shouldn't give a ton of oxygen supplementation, like give just what they need to improve their symptoms, their clinical signs, and then hopefully treat the underlying problem.
1: That's not easy.
0: Nope. Sorry about that. Sorry. I know I promised everybody that when we went through this chapter, everything would be easy. I lied when I said that. Mm -hmm. I don't remember saying that. I'm sure you have it recorded somewhere though. But yeah, this was this was a, a shorter chapter. Um kind of one of those like a lot of practical stuff and you need to just get out there and do some things. But um yeah, I think it maybe. It's game time. Is it game time? game time? Whoop, whoop, whoop. Which game is it? It's your turn to make a game for me.
1: It's the backwards, backwards game. It's the backwards,
0: backwards game. We need to say that back we need to record us saying backwards, backwards backwards, then <laughs> that becomes...
1: Record a saying backwards, backwards, backwards?
0: No. We need to record a saying backwards, backwards, and then you need to flip it around and play it backwards, and that will be the intro sound the backwards, backwards, for the backwards backwards, 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 backwards game. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Do you remember
1: how the backwards, backwards app works? Mm, All right. Re- so refresher. You have refresher. to press record.
0: For when I have to talk into the phone yeah. and press record. And you
1: talk into the phone, not your microphone. You can talk I, into both, both. But
0: mostly the phone.
1: And then... And then when you're done, you just press play.
0: And then when I'm done, I press play. Yeah. And then do I get the phone back to you?
1: No, you can keep the phone the whole time.
0: Okay. Record. Yeah. When I talk, then play, and I hold it into my microphone when I play no, it. No, you don't have
1: to. I got. Oh, you have the, it on your end. Yeah. I'm fancy Ooh, like that.
0: Fancy. Um. Okay. And but are you gonna play this? You have the sounds. Yeah, the well, sounds. Okay, because I need to hear them so that I can record it. So I just hit record, talk. how do I it'll say stop when I'm done recording
1: oh yeah you press stop it'll it'll, it'll pop up the record button will change to
0: stop okay let's do it backwards backwards game alright here's your first word my first word
1: it is invasive methods
0: invasive methods okay so now you gotta play that backwards yep are you ready sure it's so funny okay do it again
1: you can hear the vacuum in the background.
0: <laughs> Oops, I was vacuuming. Once more. <laughs> that was
1: you probably so want to talk a little more into the phone next time.
0: I'm more into the phone? Yeah. You don't think I got it? Yeah, you can give it a Where's shot. Where's the sound on your phone? Is it down at the bottom? Oh, I don't know. Okay, so I'm going to play it? Yeah. Get
1: three this Let's play was, it again.
0: That was so good. Get three this <laughs> So how how do I reverse it? Oh, You did reverse. <laughs> That's it. Reverse. Oh, that was it. Reverse. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Get <laughs> three really bad. Are you sure? <laughs>
1: All right, try again. This time, talk more to the bottom of the phone. Are we doing
0: the same word again? Yeah, we'll do the
1: same one. That was so bad. You ready? I don't
0: I think I it, it first. Okay, go. Shut up. You can go next. Yeah, that was better. Oh, you heard it? I couldn't hear it. Do it again. ways of Yeah, I totally heard it. Okay, I guess it worked. All right. That was a. <laughs> That one was hard.
1: All right. This next uh, one's good.
0: Is, I, sure. For you.
1: You ready? Yeah. Nasal prongs. Nasal prongs.
0: <laughs> I like your reflection. Nasal prongs. <laughs> You're cute.
1: All right. Here, just backwards. Okay. in.
0: <laughs> Sorry. I need a minute to just giggle. Oh, okay. Go ahead.
1: Snarklesian.
0: in. I think I nailed it that time. You ready? Mm-hmm. This is it forwards. Nasal prawns. Yeah. <laughs> I even had your inflection. Let's hit, Let's play it again for everybody. Nasal prawns. That <laughs> was like nasal, nasal prawns. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: like a, it's a terrible it's disease. A, a, oh,
0: I was thinking it was a fancy French appetizer.
1: Uh, it was probably both.
0: <laughs> nasal prawns. <laughs>
1: Oh, All right, the next one oh, is payback for the dysmia.
0: Dysmia spelling bee. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right.
1: Here's what the word is.
0: Somebody's still bitter. Yeah.
1: Complications of oxygen therapy.
0: That's a sentence.
1: Complications of oxygen <laughs> oh, therapy.
0: The first one was hard enough. Okay. Wow. This is gonna be hard. I'm ready.
1: <laughs> I'm
0: gonna have to listen to this three or four times. All right, go ahead again.
1: <laughs> it's just complications of oxygen therapy. Shh.
0: Okay. Again? Wait. Uh-huh. I screwed up the button. I didn't think it worked. Once more. Last one. Paper is Calvin in the shape of muff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Paper Calvin in the shape of muff?
0: Yeah, isn't that what you said? Yeah. All right, you ready? Yeah. Complications of oxygen therapy. That's totally what I heard. <laughs> I think The I, middle was really hard. <laughs> yeah. There's just so many words. There's so many words, but they weren't words. They were just sounds. It's hard to keep track. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nailed it. What's my I, tried- I got all of those right. Especially I'll give
1: you nasal prongs.
0: Wait. No, you didn't want to listen to it anymore? How oh, did you mess it up? I don't know. <laughs> I think we heard it enough. It's okay. <laughs> uh, I do enjoy that game. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's really hard. It's harder than you think.
1: Oh, it's hard to find good words.
0: So you go with sentences. Yeah. Nasal prongs was a great one. Yeah, nasal
1: prongs was good. Yeah, like I thought looking like around
0: humidification. The could and have then been there are really some good things one. that
1: you can't say
0: backwards. Yeah, there's someone you play them backwards. You're like, well, that was offensive. Like, yeah. I, I didn't know that. That's Ooh. what that sounded like backwards. So we have to we have to be careful. It makes you wonder
1: for the radio. It's like they got to check those out too. Or have yeah. they ever gotten one where yeah. it's been wrong.
0: So, um, all right. Well, that was what chapter was that again?
1: Chapter 14.
0: That sounds right. Uh, yeah, chapter. Yeah. Chapter 14. So uh, that's vet book 15. Thanks for listening. We will catch you next time for chapter 15, which is hypoxemia. Bum, bum, bum. Did I say who? Yeah, we did. Okay. Bye. Bye.